Now tell me if you remember No telling if you remember I'll never forget I'll never forget Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Cause a Scene podcast. I'm so excited. You guys don't know how freaking excited I am. I have, I reached out to this. I had to go back to my DMs because I reached out to this individual March 14th. 2019 and she's been so freaking busy that I'm just getting this and I thought maybe I was gonna have to reschedule because my internet went out at the house but it came on an hour before that was divine intervention I'd like you to introduce you to Dr. Crystal Fleming. Dr. Fleming could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. So I'm Crystal. I am a professor of sociology and Africana studies at Stony Brook University and I'm also a writer, a social and cultural critic, um, and I'm an anti-racist. And I've been writing about and doing research on anti-racism for, uh, gosh, uh, at least 15 years now. Uh, and my work has dealt with racism in multiple countries. So my first book was about racism uh, and the legacies of slavery in France. My second book uh, is about racial stupidity in the United States. And uh, I'd say the common thread through many of my projects has to do with examining white supremacy. Uh, and as I said, sort of, especially from a global perspective, which I think is often lacking. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so that's who I am. That's what I do. All right. So I always start this with two questions. And you know, listeners, I am so jive right now because I got a black woman to talk about um, being anti-racist with y'all white asses. So we're about <laughs> to get into this. So I always start with two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene? And how are you causing a scene? Why is it important to cause a scene? Um, well, especially when it has to do with systemic racism and white supremacy, uh, if we don't uh, find ways to stand up and disrupt that system, then it will continue to persist unchallenged. So it is extremely important uh, to cause a scene uh, in terms of challenging, dismantling, uh, I, I often talk about wig snatching white supremacy in my work, uh, but also, you know, addressing not just in the abstract, but like in specific social situations and specific institutions in which we work or move about uh, in our lives to disrupt and cause a scene uh, for the cause of justice. I think if that hadn't been done uh, by many people throughout history, then um, I would still be chattel, uh, quite literally. So there's that. Yes, I talk about that all the time. I was like, people are like, go back. Go back to what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, right. Like, right. To what? The good old days when you wanted me to be a slave? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to say about the racism and sexism of nostalgia of that, of that sort. Um, the good old days when we were chattel and didn't have the right to vote and, you know, weren't counted as, as actual humans. So... Um, how do I cause a scene? Um, I think that has shifted over time and it's organic. It kind of depends on what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. But um, I'd say uh, in my academic life, in my, in my uh, academic world, 
Uh, I suppose I cause a scene by writing and saying things that are considered controversial uh, by, uh, I'd say, uh, you know, hmm. I don't know how to, <laughs> scene is controversial by people who don't take racism seriously, I think, you know. Um, I, you know, quite literally go to um, different academic events and conferences and I will talk about the racism and other forms of oppression that I've experienced that might be happening in the space where I am speaking. Um, I call people out. I call myself out. Um, of course, it's always easier to call out other people than yourself. But in my work, I try to, you know, reflect on my own uh, ongoing uh, learning. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think uh, sometimes over the last few years, uh, I've caused a scene on social media. <laughs> so the different things I've I've written on Twitter in particular that um, you know, again, caused controversy, sometimes intended, sometimes not intended. Sometimes it's not clear to me what's going to be provocative ahead of time. You know, I can't, uh, predict how people are going to react, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I cause a scene through my writing, um, my research and my speaking, um, and, and, and also my pedagogy. I mean, all of this for me has to do with teaching in different ways, whether I'm teaching in the classroom or I'm teaching my colleagues, or I'm teaching um, ordinary people, right? Just how to understand what systemic racism and white supremacy are, uh, and to sort of begin to think concretely about what we can do to challenge them. Okay, so I am smiling on the inside because I've been, I'm, I'm new to this. I can just be honest with you. I love, um, and I starred in your book when you're like, Although, um, and although this may be surprising, I had no fucking idea I was in the, when I was in the United States that I, you know, it was racist, sexist, classist society until I was a full grown adult. I am from Atlanta, Georgia, and I also lived in Chicago, which is also very racist. And it wasn't until I started studying this that I'm like, oh my God, I've been gaslit my whole damn life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what mm -hmm. the hell is this? Because you know something's wrong. But you can't, no one's talking about it, as you said. No one's talking about it. Everybody's like, you can do it. My mom had me in so many white spaces growing up. I was the right. only all the time. Knew I felt that they didn't want me there. Right. But no one would overtly say, we don't want you here. Right. So they do these other little things. They have me questioning who I was. Mm -hmm. um, and just how you just open. I love that you open with the quote and just the introduction. It is an aspect of their sense of su superiority that white people in America believe that they have little to learn. People, that was Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. While y'all always want to quote, mm -hmm. oh, we want to talk about, I have a dream. We want to just keep him in 1963. We don't want to talk about the fact when he really realized that white liberals and white progressives were the biggest challenge to any movement forward. We don't mm -hmm. want to talk about that. And so I just, and also I'm an educator. And so um, there's so many things that I was just reading, like, yes, yes, <laughs> about your background. I was a special needs, I was in high school, special uh, Title I school, um, special needs teacher. And everybody would just like, oh, pity my students. But the the um, the gifted students, everybody, I was like looking at these dumb, I was like, 
Y'all cannot think yourselves out of a box. Do you really think this is, I would tell this is an artificial environment. They've taught you how to pass tests. That's all you know how to do. I remember when the valedictorian, she was one of my um, sweethearts. She, she got valedictorian, but I was going around. Oh, congratulations. I whispered her in her ear. I'm like, this is great, but you realize you're at the top of the bottom, right? You've never competed with the world. Mm. <laughs> because that was my role in that space. And I didn't realize that it was this stuff because right. I didn't have a name to it. Right. And now that I have a name to it and I'm getting paid to go into spaces and as I, again, as you say, my, when I do a talk, my third slide is usually a content warning. I've been brought here to make white people uncomfortable and I'm very good at my job. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, I got to the anti-racist thing kind of backwards because I've been in tech. When I transitioned out of education, I moved into tech and was like, something's not right here. People are talking about inclusion and diversity. And I'm coming from a business strategist right. place. And I'm like, y'all, something ain't right here. We ain't having the conversations we need to have. Mm -hmm. Because you think inclusion and diversity is about quotas and about people. It is about the fact that all of our, all systems, all these algorithms, everything is rooted in white supremacy. And if we can't have that conversation, right. we're never going to do any better. And we're going to continue to globally harm customers and clients. That right. is no longer acceptable. And so I, that's why I know my, my audience is, can tell I'm excited. This is why I'm so excited because I'm like, I'm talking, so I've talked to a lot of people, but you're, the fact that you're a black woman, the fact that you're an educator, the fact that you're talking about answer. There's so many intersections here. I'm just like, ah. <laughs> so I'm going to let you talk because you actually didn't say the complete title of your book. And I want people to know exactly what this book is. Yeah. So the book is How to Be Less Stupid About Race on Racism, White Supremacy, and the Racial Divide. Uh, and it came out last year in hardback. The paperback mm -hmm. just came out uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. So tell us how we came up with this title because I just loved it. I mean, to be to be honest, it was pretty organic. I mean, and so I came up with the idea for the book in the aftermath of the 2016 election, the, the presidential election. And I mean, you know, and it's here's the thing. And politics occupy a pretty big part of the book. So there's a, a chapter on racial stupidity in the Obama era and some of my own um, political changes that happened during his presidency. Uh, and then, of course, there's a chapter on on Trump and sort of how did we get here uh, as a country? And part of what I argue is that we have been here. We have been <laughs> in the belly of white supremacy from the start. Um, not that Trump is, you know, uh, a normal president and the way that many people think about that. But in terms of his embrace of white supremacy, that has been the norm. It's just taken different, you know, uh, shapes in different eras. Um, and even Obama, I argue, and this is where, again, I cause a scene because even Obama in his own way embraced certain aspects of white supremacy. And I think we have to, you know, be honest about not only Barack Obama, but how black people and people of color can also become complicit with these systems that systematically uh, destroy us. Um, I, I, I constantly talk about we are all 
were raised and taught in the same systems. So people of color, Black people, we all have some level of internalized white supremacy and anti-Blackness that we need. So when you're talking about doing this self-examination, that's the work that we have to do. Absolutely. That's the work we have to do. We see it in our communities with colorism. Uh, We see it um, when we're talking about poor people. We see it when we see um, a gang... uh, uh, um, boys walking down the street with their pants down. Mm-hmm. We see it when we alter, adultify our black girls. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. do it ourselves. And, and, and there's the caveat, we do it ourselves because the system is designed for us to use that as a distraction so we don't deal with the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's internalized oppression, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I was already, you know, during Obama's uh, two terms, I was you know, I guess I was, I mean, a lot of things happened, right? I mean, we had Black Lives Matter, we had Ferguson, uh, we had uh, more attention in the public sphere to issues of race than maybe in a generation. And and all of that kind of compounded by social media, uh, the incessant, you know, videos of, of Black people being uh, harassed, uh, uh, harassed to murdered, you yes, know, the whole, exactly. the whole, uh, uh, range and because I was so deeply uh, involved in social media, especially Twitter, I was being exposed to just so much ignorance, so much racial uh, and racist ignorance, um, and it was it was overwhelming. So in the aftermath of the election, um, I, w- I knew I wanted to write some kind of book that would kind of be a primer to issues of racism, uh, but that also would be written, you know, not in a way that would placate the readers, you know, especially I did not want to placate white readers. I wanted to keep it real. Um, And so for me, even though I have come to realize that, you know, stupidity for some people is a is a triggering word. There's some people who feel uh, that the word stupidity is ableist, for example. Um, and it's one of the things I try to do in my book and my talks when I use the term racial stupidity is to be very clear about how I'm using that word. And of course, nevertheless, there's some people who still would disagree with how I'm using it. But I'm using it not to uh, suggest that there are certain people who are exempt from these forces or there are just some people who are racially stupid and others who are not. No, I'm talking about the ways in which social forces and, and, and the, the things that we are exposed to in our socialization, our education and miseducation, our social interactions, and just the broad system of white supremacy, how it programs us, uh, and especially white people, but it programs all of us exposed to it to really misunderstand the world in which we live and to distort it in ways that reinforce the racial status quo, that reinforce white power. Um, and, and you know, uh, you mentioned Martin Luther King earlier. You know, I, I definitely, you know, mentioned him in, in my book right in the beginning. But there's another quote um, where he also addressed racial stupidity. And in fact, I just want to, as an aside, point out that critiques of white racial stupidity Uh, have a very long history in the Black intellectual and political tradition. So Martin Luther King Jr., one of the things he said was that there's nothing in the world more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Um, W.B. Du Bois, uh, in his work, uh, also uh, was very critical of of racial stupidity. 
Um, he, you know, I think anyone who is a racialized uh, minority in this country uh, who becomes politically conscious, you can't help but see the ways in which white people uh, in particular go about in our society proclaiming themselves to be authorities on knowledge, authorities in politics, moral authorities, and yet they are proclaiming that authority while engaging in some of the most ignorant and stupid forms of behavior. And it's not because they are, you know, they don't have the capacity to do better. It's because of how power corrupts. It's because of how uh, people uh, decide that they, they, don't, they don't want to know the truth. They want power. <laughs> they want power and dominance. And so if they need to come up with an ideology that is incoherent and doesn't really make sense, as long as it gets the job done and protects white supremacy, that's okay. And, and th- this is where I see, I tell people, <laughs> people try to try to challenge me on this. I'm happy. I am so happy that this president is president. I'm just going to let y'all know because I couldn't have this platform if he were not there. It took that reality show to be, to become president for white people to say, oh shit. Um, this is what, 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 what's happening here? We've been saying it, we've been saying it, but our lived experiences were never enough. Uh, we have to provide proof. You know, what do you mean by that? We, you know, we got to come with doc- documents and stuff, mm-hmm. but to, I mean, to, for them to see it themselves. So I, there's some things that I say that are very controversial, particularly, and I say them because I am in the tech space with a whole bunch of privileged white dudes who only are there because they have a friend, they had a family member, they got access to capital, they barely have college degrees, but they think they know how the mm-hmm. world functions. So I say some very, I have to, as a, again, you shouldn't understand this because as an educator, I'm damn good at classroom management. Mm-hmm. That, that is, if you don't understand, if you cannot control, manage your classroom, not going to use the word control, if you cannot manage your classroom, nothing gets done. Because what happens is that one student is going to test you to see where the line is. And if you don't draw that line, not only will they push it even further the next time, but the people who need to be safe no longer feel safe because this fool is acting right. crazy. So these are so this is where I draw, draw some lines. And you may disagree or not agree with me, but this works for me in this particularly privileged-ass space. <laughs> Silicon Valley folks and all these people. So I say, based on what I know, all white... because. I give them a definition. Racism is uh, race prejudice plus uh, system, being able to uh, have a system, be able to, um, it's a system of, of oppression. So mm-hmm. everybody doesn't have access to, can, can pull those levers. Mm-hmm. So because it's white supremacy, all white people are racist by design. You ain't got no choice in it. It is how you were educated, which means you cannot be trusted by default. You mm-hmm. have to have for me to trust you have to have consistent demonstrated anti-racist behaviors Mm. and even in that i know because you are racist by design you will fuck up so (laughs) i have to steal and so this is what i need them to understand even with your friends even with your black and because they'll say well i'm married to black but that does not exempt all the years that you've been um, indoctrinated in this mess what you I, what I've learned personally is in this space, the people who are the staunchest the people who are the staunchest supporters of my work have done something to harm a black or brown person in their lives mm-hmm. before they get it to realize they're complicit. 
Mm-hmm. And that is a problem that I have to be harmed for you to understand that you're a problem. Mm. So I draw that line hard in the sand. And, and, I'm how, like, and how, do, how do these audiences react? Do they get it? Yeah. So uh, there, there's a spectrum. So, so in the hashtag cause of scene community, um, I again, take that as a, as a classroom. So on Twitter, that's the classroom. So this is how I, uh, and I have a strategy. One of my, um, one of my rules is intention without strategy is chaos. If people go in this stuff and just be engaging with everybody, you're going to get burnt out. You're going to have your feelings hurt. I ain't got time for all that. So if some, if I'm doing something, if someone engages with me first, I go back, I go look at their, um, profile. Are they are they uh, anti-Semitic? Mm-hmm. Are they uh, Nazis? Are they are they if, all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, then 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 yes. If they're if they're a Nazi, then uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral nor is it apolitical. Two. Intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. Yeah, so if you're a Nazi, then uh, it doesn't matter. my time. Okay, that's not even a part of my strategy. So you can right. have your argument over there. I'm going right. to block you. And then, right. then I need to see, okay, are they even in tech? Oh, if you're not in tech, why am I even having a conversation? Because right. this is not, I'm trying to change how tech functions. So then I, what I look at, and then I'll say, and, and they, get, they get so mad. Because then I'll see, okay, so they're in tech. And the people I, I, who are following me, they need to see this over and over again. Because they have short memories. They need to see this happening over and over again. So what I'll do is comment, retweet. And I'll, they'll say something, I'll comment, retweet, and I'll put something up there. My audience, my community knows, and they're, again, the spectrum. When I do that, it's time for you to engage. This is your work to do. So now you need to respond to this person. And they're going to keep responding to me, but I'm not going to respond to them because it's not about you. I'm, I can't scale talking to you. I have to scale talking to the people. So what I do is continue to comment, tweet, retweet. And at some point, I tell people this all the time, we're given enough pressure and enough time something racist will come out. <laughs> Either I'm, yeah. I get the angry yeah. black woman trope. I get the, yeah. um, I'm being... It's all very predictable. Yes, exa- and, that's yeah. what I can, and I can usually tell between how many, how they first engage, how long it's going to take. And, and what that does is, um, so I have right. the people who know, who get it, who get it, who like, Kim, I cannot continue to harm people. What, what I'm doing the work. Then you have people who are just new to this because they all of a sudden in 2016, you're like, there's racism? What I did, I, yeah. So they're taking a little longer and what they need to see is this whole right. thing. So what, what a recent engagement was, I was doing it and this guy, girl, this guy literally said, because um, I was, so I do another podcast. I started this on Sunday. So I do my regular podcast on Wednesdays. I do a how to be um, anti-racist podcast with Dr. Kendi's book on Sunday. So it's a book club. We, I read it and I give them homework assignments. So I was announcing it. And this dude comes b- below and says, this will never work. Um, all we need to do is, um, is this, uh, basically it was a breeding program. We, you need to, we're just going to have to um, pe- have mixed babies. 
And I said, okay. And I said, okay, so this dude's answer is breeding. Oh, he did not like this. And he just kept going and going. And I kept commenting, retweeting, commenting. So the people who are in the community who've been there a while, they're responding to him because they're challenging him. They're bringing, because they're bringing resources that I've shared with them because they're new people coming every day. That's another thing about Twitter. You don't know who's there. So right. it's like, it's always an education. So we're, all, we're, we're dropping articles. They're drop, they know what their job is. So they're doing that work. So this, this one woman finally says, Hey, dude, do you realize that she's not responding to you at all? That she's, um, that this is for us? And then she says, when I, I'm new to this community and I disagree with how she did things until I saw this. Now I understand why she does what she does the way she does it. And you, sir, have convinced me that this works, that what she's doing. And I was like, thank you. And I was done. <laughs> So they did the work for you. You didn't have to do. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Mike, this community knows if you're not willing to make yourself uncomfortable so I can be comfortable, I have absolutely no use for you. I could care less about my Twitter follower numbers because that means absolutely nothing. Because the majority, I got over 7,000. I got maybe 100 people who, um, who uh, will engage. The rest of them are parasites. And I tell them that all the time. You're absolutely worthless to me. You're vampires. All you do is suck in information from black people, black women, and you try to use it and, and put it and, and repurpose it for yourself because white is, whiteness is not original. It always steals and, and it never does as well as we do. Um, so I'm just like real, just boom, boom, boom. So when I speak it, like I just spoke at a conference and, and, and it, it was a keynote and the room was not full. And so the organizer was so upset. It was in Milwaukee. It's like, where are you upset? When you put my name on the thing, you should know that people have made a calculated thought if they know anything about my work, if they're going to show up or not. Because right. they know what's coming. Um, and then I record everything. I usually record everything live on Twitter. So it scales that way. I could care less who's in this room. Mm -hmm. Because this needs, I need to scale this stuff because it's just me. And, um, and people get it, it. You have these people lockstep. So then you have the, the and, and I get on white women so bad. Oh, I get on white women so bad. White feminism. But the ones who, I'm not even going to say get it because that's the wrong word. The ones who have learned how to engage, they go. And they, my one, um, one um, young lady, she's like, I know how to gather my white friends. I know how to gather my white people. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's how we get this work done. That's how mm -hmm. we scale it. So I never want them to say that they're the experts. This is not your lived experience. Mm -hmm. Everything you've learned about racism, you've learned from a person who has direct impact from racism. Mm -hmm. So never own this. All you're doing, again, is stealing some stuff. And if you're going to use it to benefit us all, that's fine. And the reason I stay optimistic in the space that I'm in is because tech touches everything. And once tech gets this right, all other industries are going to have to change. And tech has to get this right because it's a risk management issue. They're, they're causing the economics. It's all about economics at this point. Mm. So you're going to have to figure this out. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, th there are people who I'll go to somebody, somebody send me something. I go to I'm like, oh, they already blocked me. I don't even know who this is. Isn't that something when you don't even know who it is and they've done already blocked you? Oh, yeah. But they know they because they knew who you were. Yes. But <laughs> yeah. also, I, as you know, as an educator, though, I can use that as a teachable moment, because what happens is you'll have someone out post something. I'm sure you have the same yeah. thing. Somebody comes in, wants to walk in with their little white self and say whatever they want to say. They get challenged. They get fr fragile, you know, fragile. They get their little feelings hurt. And I'm like, this ain't about your feelings. If you have feelings issues, you're going to need to go talk to therapy. That ain't about my issue. And then the next, you know, few engagements. Oh, you're so mean. Why are you so hostile? 
I have a shirt that says, um, uh, I have a hashtag cause to see merchandise. One of the new shirts says, fuck civility. I'm not trying, I, I don't care about your feelings. And then it's so funny because how I ended is they have blocked me and I'll say, and I'll screenshot it. I'll say, job well done, everybody. We can be. <laughs> so it's a teachable moment. Yeah, it's a yeah. teachable moment because it shows that, again, they throw rocks and then they hide. Mm. You know, it's the mm-hmm. whole stupidity thing. And, and it's like, I'm not dealing with y'all. Y'all are so ignorant. Y'all don't even know your own history, let alone trying to understand ours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I recently, a uh, little bit of a different uh, thing, but related, I, I had to take a cab uh, ride, a long cab ride. And the driver turned, you know, at first he's, he's like, you know, this white man in his like 60s or something. And he starts talking and, you know, he wants to know what I do. And I stay very vague, you know, I'm a sociologist. <laughs> anyway, he starts talking about little small talk and, you know, he seems very pleasant. And like, we, we have different things in common. Like we like the same parts of, you know, New York City and, and the same kinds of food. And then the conversation turns to politics. And it turns out that he is, he's not just a Trump supporter. He's like a hardcore evangelical, you know, and I'm, and I'm like, um, how can a Christian support Donald Trump? There's nothing Christian about him. And he, and he, he like takes offense. He's like, no, no, he's, he's, he, what do you mean? I said, well, what do you mean? (laughs) And he's like, well, you know, Israel, it's his stance on Israel. And I was like, that's it. That's all. That has nothing to do with that. It's like, what's that got to do with me? Anyway, so, you know, so these are his politics, anti-immigrant, the whole nine mm-hmm. yards, right? And, um, and I just started chatting with him and I, and I tell him, I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm opposed to like everything you've described. Mm-hmm. I'm very against Donald Trump. Uh, but I'm going to be honest with you. You rewind 20 years, um, even 15 years. I held beliefs that were more conservative than the yes. ones that I have now. Um, I said I had to uh, learn a lot about our country's history of immigration before I began to question it. And I just started dropping different facts with him. I'm like, do you know what happened in 1790? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, 1790, we're just about 16, 14 years or so from the founding of the country, from the War of Independence. And it's still a new country, lots of undocumented people lots of big problem. What are we going to do with these undocumented people? Not paying taxes. And I said, do you know what our country's leadership decided to do in 1790 to deal with these undocumented people? And he doesn't know. I said, well, they decided to give them a pathway to citizenship. It's just one catch. They had to be white. And they couldn't even just be white people. They had to be white men. This is the naturalization law of 1790, explicitly white supremacists. He doesn't know anything about it. Uh, this dude, 20 minutes earlier, had told me that, you know, his girlfriend is Chinese, American. I think he was happy to tell me he's in this interracial relationship. And I said, okay, you're dating a Chinese woman. Do you know what happened in 1882? <laughs> No, no, what happened in 1882? Well, 1882, that's the Chinese Exclusion Act. It's the only immigration law we've ever had that explicitly named a racial group that was no longer allowed to come to the country. I said, that persisted for decades. It wasn't just a one-off thing. And so I just go through Mm -hmm. and I'm pointing out to him and I'm like, let's talk about the Native Americans. You know, and he's like, oh yeah, you know, that was wrong. That was genocide. Yeah, it was genocide. It still is. Mm -hmm. 
And these borders you're trying to protect, uh, the entire state of Texas was Mexico. Um, and so we, we started to, you know, and he, I can't say that he had some major transformation, but by the end of it, he was thanking me. And he said, I have to study our history. Mm -hmm. I said, yes. I said, we all do. But he was able to acknowledge that. Um, to go back to what you were bringing up before, you know, how you frame white supremacy and racism and whether you tell people that all whites are racist or whether you tell, tell them that they're all complicit in it or some combination of the two. Um, I think what's most important is for people to have an understanding of racism that's systemic and that's grounded yes. in an analysis of power. And for me, and listen, I totally respect the different Different people have different styles of a similar message and different people need to hear different things. Yes. Um, I find it more useful in my work for people themselves to recognize, oh, wait, shit, I'm racist. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, um, of course, you know, I'm going to teach you that according to systemic, you know, the meaning of systemic racism, only white people can occupy that position. Now, for the white person receiving that, I want them to be able to narrate themselves in that in that relationship. And then they realize, oh, that means I am complicit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Because as you know, one of the main you know, forms of racial stupidity uh, that white people perpetuate is the notion that racism is just about your feelings or whether you're a mm -hmm. nice person or a bad person <laughs> or whether you're prejudiced. And racism is not prejudice. It's related, but it's not that. It's a system of power, mm -hmm. um, you know, that was, you know, by design set up to favor people uh, defined as white. Um, and there's so much wrapped up in it. I mean, you have to teach people to even understand that race is not essentially real, that it was, exactly. it was an idea yeah. that was constructed at a specific point in history, yeah. that that's related to capitalism, that yes. that's related to colonialism. So that I don't just want people to realize, oh, that white people are complicit in white supremacy. I want you to question what whiteness means. I want you to learn about the history of whiteness. And that's one of the reasons I, um, I also deliberately, because white folks don't like to be exactly. grouped. Yeah. <laughs> they just want to be an individual. Yeah, but we're, but we're always grouped together. No one asks me what kind of black I am, right? Exactly. And so I have gotten to, well, what I do is, because I, wanna, them, I want to erase as much of that outside conversation as they, 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 they will try to throw at you. So if there's blackness, then there's whiteness. And so that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm talking about blackness, which is a group, and whiteness, which is a group. And that's how we're going to do that until we can talk about individuals <laughs> as, a, as an individual. Because it, it, it gets really, and, the re, and, and another reason I do it that way, and I, and I told, that's why I like having these different um, conversations. Because even we, reading um, the Kendi book, there's some things that I um, challenge. And I talk about why I challenge them. Why so they, I haven't read the book, so you'll have to tell me what you mean. Oh, so he talks, uh, he says that black people can be racist. I oh, don't. Well, that's not true. Yeah, see, I don't believe that right, black people can be racist. No, black, but black people can. They can, uh, they can promote racist and, ideas. Exactly. But the. But they don't have the, the power. institutional power 
I mean, they don't have the power to institutionalize their their bias. Yes, exactly. So so that's that's I mean, that's kind of surprising because I really like the book stamp from the beginning. Yes, yes. Um, and, and so I was I was struggling with that because I let my community know I was struggling with that. And it took me to like reading chapter chapter three to say, OK, this is why I have the challenge with this, because um, of uh, it's, it's, we can be we can hate white people. We can do whatever, but we do not have the power to do anything about that on a systematic level. I did not know. I mean, I told you I haven't read the book. I did not know he really out there saying that black people can be racist. That is so violent. It's, it's, a, it's a sentence. No, but that yes. sentence has yes. so much violence against it because, I mean, so much violence in it because that is literally what white supremacists and ordinary white racists say. They, yes. they will use their fucked up idea of what racism means, which is not correct, to say that mm-hmm. anti-racists are actually racist. So it's a reverse racism. To, exactly. To say, oh, that's yes. reverse mm-hmm. racism. And that yes. is so yeah. dangerous. That is, that's yes. the kind of logic that leads to things like uh, the FBI using the term black identity extremist. Uh, while not actually taking white supremacy seriously. So, yes, I mean, maybe yes. I'd have to read the book to have a better understanding of what he means by that. Yeah, And so that's why I like having, I forgot where I was going with this, but that's why I like having these conversations because oh, one of the reasons I have this strong, this stance is because I, my audience is face-to-face white people when I come into, when I'm working as a business consultant or whatever. I need to, again, as a teacher, to draw a strong line because if I don't, they will challenge me and I can never get anything done. That's one. And another thing is, I rec- tell me how you do this, because I recognize that I am educating the oppressor while I'm also being oppressed and I have to d- actually pro- process my trauma after, after while working with them. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason I draw very clear lines. And so for me, this is, a, and this is why I don't, and I tell people this all the time, this is why I don't, my clients are not people of color, particularly black people, because mm-hmm. I can't I don't have the bandwidth to process my oppression, process their oppression and get anything done. I just can't do it. So I leave that to some other folks. So I'm just going to deal with because I can separate myself from from whiteness. <laughs> I can just I can go in like, boom, boom, boom. This is what you're doing wrong. This is how why it's wrong. And this is what we need to do. I can separate that and I can go home and go to sleep if I'm dealing with dealing with the trauma of other black people all day I cannot I've tried it it is just too much for me this is why I cannot go to I can no longer look at videos of mm-hmm. I do not watch movies like boys in the hood and like anything that could be look like real I cannot do it every if I'm watching something it's an escapism because this work is it, it, these strategies help me to be able to sustain this work and not pop white folks in the face every time I see them. I hear you. So how do you, how do you, because this is, I mean, I can, it's my work because I stumbled into it. You chose to do this I work. did, I did. <laughs> and you've been doing it for 15 years. I did choose to do it. Sometimes I wonder, you know, I wonder about that choice, but now I'm, I'm deep in it. Um, so I can't do what you described in so far as drawing those strong boundaries and separate, you know, like I just focus on white people because my student, I teach at a majority minority university, first of all. So Mm -hmm. our students are incredibly Mm -hmm. diverse. Um, Mm -hmm. And even the black students are going to have a big range in their ethnic identities and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really, hmm, I really approach my writing, my work and my pedagogy 
from a perspective that on the one, it's kind of, I blend two things that seem to be in contradiction, but for me, they, well, maybe they are in contradiction, but you know, that's kind of the <laughs> thing about also being a woman, I can live, uh, I can acknowledge paradoxes and exactly. coexistence. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, uh, yes, I will, when I'm talking about systemic racism and power relations, we are going to draw a boundary between the dominator group and the dominated. We're going to be clear about who benefits from white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that boundary, or I think you could think of it as a distinction. On the other hand, um, and I totally hear you about the different kinds of emotional labor and trauma that's involved in uh addressing these issues with black folks and people of color versus addressing white folks. But on the other hand, part of what um, I find myself doing in my work as well uh, is, and I don't want to sound corny, but it's actually kind of a cornerstone of my worldview and my spirituality, because as much as I'm like unapologetically a black, queer, bisexual woman with the politics that I have, Um, I also am very attuned to um, a kind of universalism. So by that, I mean, and it it is kind of living in the midst of a paradox because, I mean, I draw these, you know, identities and boundaries all the time in my work and in my personal life, right? Like I'm very clear about that. But at the same time, if you know, and it's also, it's not just like philosophy and spirituality. It's like also my work as a sociologist. Mm -hmm. For me, there's something about the need to recognize that all of my identities, that like there's something about who I am that supersedes all of that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when, Mm -hmm. when you, when I interact with you or I'm interacting with my students, I'm going to see the social constructions. I'm going to see our different positionalities because of the the reality of the power relations within which we live. But I'm also trying to stay alive to your beingness and my beingness beyond all this bullshit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm without pretending that in this world, you can ever actually be beyond it. If you, if you follow me, because I'm not saying like some kumbaya, we are all, we all bleed red. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that for me to do this work uh, in a way that doesn't leave me overly depleted, although I'm often depleted, mm-hmm. taking, you know, intentional breaks from this topic <laughs> is, is part of, you know, how I, you know, address my health, mental, physical, spiritual health. Uh, but, I, but I do feel like I can't, I can't live within those boundaries all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just can't like if like I can't interact with white people as though they are really white because I know you rewind the clock a yes. hundred years. Yeah. Your ass wasn't even white. Exactly. exactly. You're, like, you're, like literally you were not. I mean, now you might have been considered white when it came to citizenship. Yeah. yeah but yeah. but there were other ways in which your whiteness was was being questioned because it was in a period of time when because it was the definition of what was white changed it was yes. more fluid back yes then. yes so i really have a problem with you know so-called white anti-racists who want to cleave to their whiteness as though it's really real. yes 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 it's politically and socially real mm-hmm. yes you have been socialized as white you're socially recognized as white but if you have not really i don't mean in a superficial way but if on a deep level you have not gotten in touch 
with your humanity or your beingness beyond this bullshit idea yes. of race and the invention yes. of whiteness, then you are not, I mean, that's just really sad. That's yeah. like, you are not fully living your humanity. Yes. Uh, that's it. That's it. And that's, that's, but, but, but it's so subtle because there's so, I'm not saying what a lot of white people say, which they want to, they want to evade their social and political whiteness, right? They want to be like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not white or I'm not like them. No, you are, mm-hmm. but that can't be all of who you are. I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable, is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens, strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. I'm not like them. No, you are. But that can't be all of who you are. You are. Exactly. That's not the totality of you. It should not be. (laughs) It should not be. Yeah. And I'm loving this conversation because I'm loving the juxtaposition because because what it does help the white audience who's listening is we are not a monolith. (laughs) We do this work. We do this work effectively where we are and we do it differently. And and I and I wrote down here black women. So although I don't I don't um, my my client or my customer or whatever are not black people. I tell people I do not speak for black women, but I speak on behalf of black women. So this is another reason I've detached myself from all, like you can't fire me. The sponsors, the sponsors for my podcast are the people from community. They give me a hundred dollars a month. Um, so it's like PBS because I don't want a Microsoft or Amazon saying you can't do their episode because when I speak every, if there are black women in that audience, I have told this white audience what it was like to write an email to your, your sensitive ass mm-hmm. and how much energy that takes to even to come up to you to say, hey, you screw that up because now it's about your feelings. Mm-hmm. And now you want to cry. If I have not hit you, why the hell are you crying? It's mm-hmm. not my response. It's not our responsibility to, hand, to deal with your emotions anymore. We're no longer your mammies. Get off our teats. <laughs> um, so when I finish talking, I got black women to come up and be crying and hugging yeah. because you're saying what they can't say. Yeah. Black women and, and girls who come up to me sometimes crying, sometimes, you know, not crying, but just so enthusiastic. Yes. You know, I think when you center yourself 
in your own analysis, yes. right? That's so powerful. That's so powerful. And that's why I, 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 that's why I take this approach because I'm coming, I'm in a space that is tech bros to the hilt who don't respect anybody. And if I come in showing any kind, and it's not to be about being um, fake. Cause I was like this at, I tell people I was like this at two years old. White <laughs> supremacy just told me this wasn't how I was supposed mm-hmm. to be. I had to get back to this. And so I'm that person is like, cut that shit out. We ain't doing that. We ain't doing that here. This is what, if you want to be here, you, this is what you're going to be. So we were at, I was at an event this weekend and it was a group of um, women of color talking. And these two white dudes were on the outside and he said something to one of the women of color and she came over and he's like, oh, they feel underrepresented. I looked at him. I was like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Because right there, he's like, I'm joking. That's not funny. What you've just done was correct. First of all, you've... It's violent. Exactly. You've interrupted. And because this woman, woman of color, knows that that's usually her role, she now interjects herself and puts herself in a position to protect your whiteness. Dude, if you you don't have the... If you don't have the balls to come over here and start and come into this conversation, then you need to be on the outskirts because every conversation in tech is about you mm. so I come in the room and I'm just I turn myself up on 10 because I recognize that I have the mm-hmm. privilege to do that so that other black women don't have mm-hmm. to do what I have to do so that you know when we come in the room mm-hmm. if you um like we have another conversation dude just walk we have no talk he just walks up his head start talking to somebody else I said excuse you were you invited into this conversation Civility is is optional for white people and it's the expected behavior of people of color. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing it anymore. Right. And what I'm going to do is be the walking, talking uh, example and model for other people to say, well, shit, if she ain't doing it. Right. That's right. You ain't got to be as loud as me. You ain't got to do it like I do. But you can figure out a way to tell them, no, I'm not. Ta- I'm not taking this anymore. Yes. And that's where things get tricky, though. Right. And um, I imagine you do this in your well, I don't know that you do this in your work so much because your clients are white people. But a lot of times I'll give talks and, you know, you've seen my book. And I mean, I have to say, I think for an academic, um, my way of writing about these issues uh, is a little more, uh, I'll just say it's, it's unusual compared to most academics. You're um, right. This is very much a layperson book. Well, it's, it's kind of in between, right? I'm given a lot of history, a lot of sociology, mm-hmm. but I'm, and I, there are parts of the book that read academic, but then I also bring it in my own vernacular. I will mm-hmm. drop an F-bomb. Yes. I, yes. I wanted to write the book I wanted to read and I wanted to have the full range of my voices. But having and, and before that, you be, be, yeah. before you go on, because what it reminds me, what you just said is that putting yourself in that, because one sentence that I've been wanting to talk about is the one you, this one statement you said that you recognize that you with the path that you were on could be the same as Kanye, Ben Carson and Omarosa. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, when I was younger, I was you mentioned the gifted program. I was tracked into that in you know, second grade. And so I was always the exceptional. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't clear to me that we lived in a society with systemic racism, sexism, all of that. So I brought that up because that's to me what I get out of this book. It's the human. You connect the academic with I'm a human and this is my experience. And so it's not abstract. Yeah, I mean, I tried that to bring it down to earth. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, The thing that can get tricky, you know, you're uh, you work for yourself. I am Mm -hmm. a tenured academic. um, And so 
as much as I do want folks to feel, particularly Black folks and people of color, to feel empowered by what I read and what, what, what I write and speak, at the same time, I have folks who come up to me after my talks or even in my classes, and they're like, how can I address white supremacy on my job or in this other class I'm taking? And it's not so simple. You know, I have, you know, family who work in different fields, you know, work in finance and other things. And there are ways of going about it, right? But it's, it's I, I think one of the major take-homes that I try to pass on in my teaching about systemic racism is that you can't address this stuff on your own. And this goes for white folks, um, but it especially goes for black folks and people of color, that if you are, and you are, whether you realize it or not, if you are dealing with different aspects of systemic racism on your job or in your community, in your neighborhood, to address it is not going to be about what you do as an individual only. It's going to have to involve a strategy. It's going to have to involve building allies. It's going to have to be something beyond yourself. A coalition, yes. A coalition. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work is figuring out who's your coalition, yes. what are the resources that can support you. And sometimes, well, very often those resources are going to be difficult to identify. They may not even exist yet. You yes. might have to be a part of creating the resources to address the gaps that you have experienced. And you, what you just communicated is exactly what Hashtag Causes Scene is about. It started because I got sick of people in tech talking about inclusion. Right. And when they screw it up, people like me get harmed. And so I was, my friend and I, at the end of 2017, I was like, you know what? I'm, I have nothing to lose. I just want to be disruptive. I just want to be. And, and we was like, yeah, she's like, cause a scene. We were like, oh my God, hashtag cause a scene. And that's what happened. So when I was looking at um, going to these conferences, I'm like, y'all don't know how to do conferences. Let me show you how to do conferences. So I did conferences for a while. So that's how the podcast started. Um, right now, there's a... Um, I'll be launching next year called The Alliance because we can't have, and it's called The Alliance, the um, uh, anti-racist tech agenda because we can't have these conversations on mm-hmm. Twitter. We need a place mm-hmm. where we can have these conversations so we can coalesce. Um, also, another thing we, we, uh, that I'm launching is hashtag called the same jobs because people keep sending me jobs, but I'm not, I'm not sharing that. These people trust me. I don't know anything about your organization. You're going to have to get a hashtag cause of scene organizational certification. Right. I need to know that you're a safe place for me to send them to. And if you can't prove that to me, then no, I'm not doing that. And so these, so that's what I'm talking about. I'm creating my own thing. So, so another reason why my audience is white people, just honestly, is because I only deal with leadership. Because culture has to come from the top down. Um, all these people pushing it from the bottom are stressing themselves out or worried. If, if your CEO, um, I was watching something with, and I think it was the Eagles. Was it the Eagles? One of the football teams, um, he now, they have an a, um, a, a autism um, a agenda. They're supporting, they put in a, a special room for autistic um, fans who come. And I'm just listening, I'm listening because I know it's coming up sooner or later. And he, he, the president of this football team has a brother who's autistic. And I was like, that's how that happened. In no time, because he decided that it was close to him. Every, the culture change. Right. It's not about, oh, how we do it. No, you make the culture change when you when it's something important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you talking about, let's talk about RRI. 
this you still you still recruiting and acting like we're making widgets. We're not making widgets. You don't give somebody a manual and they make everybody's widget mm-hmm. has to be the same because it has to be a universal that goes into a thousand things. This is the information economy. You need your employees' knowledge. If they don't feel um, safe enough to tell you anything, because every time they open their mouth, they get somebody says something smart to them. They get these little these little cuts on their heart. You know, you can't say. Then they're gonna take their information with them, and you gain absolutely nothing in an information economy and a knowledge economy from them. You get no tacit knowledge from them and you can't scale that. That is that is what makes you competitive. That is what helps you to differentiate in this global economy. That's how I get them. I got to get your attention, but this is why. Um, so like I have four guiding principles. Everything I do in high psychology seeing is, is seen through this lens. Tech is not neutral. Um, um, and um, Intention without strategy is chaos. Um, lack of inclusion is a risk management issue and we have to prioritize the most vulnerable because if you go to the people who are closest to the issue, they have the solutions. Have you talked to uh, Ruha Benjamin yet? Or have you heard uh, of her? Uh, uh, ha, ha, so funny. I'm glad you mentioned her. I just got um, invited to how just got invited today to go to Harvard to an, I've been trying to get her on the podcast and forever, but yeah. how and I'll be in, in, in um, Harvard November 2nd. Cause the series that they're having, yes. right? With Khalil. She's keynoted. Exactly. And yeah. so she, so I'll be interviewing her while I'm there. Perfect. Yes, okay. yes, Great. yes, yes, yes. So exactly. I'm getting these because this is the work that needs to be done in this space. Um, oh my God, this has been amazing. It has been. Thank you so much for having me. Any final words you'd like to share? I mean, sure. Uh, I don't know if uh, your audience will agree, and I don't think you will, but I'll just throw it out there because I think it's um, it's worth thinking about. Because you mentioned earlier that you're pretty optimistic about tech and, and its ability to, to deal with these issues. Um, oh, not yet. They're not there yet. <laughs> I have to be, no, I hear you, but I have to be honest, I'm not optimistic about tech. Mm. Um, partly, I, I, I read uh, Shoshana um, uh, Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Mm. It's like this 800 page mm-hmm. book. I read it this summer and I'm teaching it in one of my classes. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, the, the pace at which uh, these, you know, whether it's algorithmic technologies, but also artificial intelligence. The pace at which they are progressing, I think, was it Google just a month ago announced that it's, you know, what is it, quantum computing? Mm-hmm. And now it is advancing at a, at a rate that's like exponentially beyond even Moore's law. Exactly. So, so because white supremacy, patriarchy and all of that is so deeply embedded in every aspect of our society, including mm-hmm. tech, yes. and because tech is advancing at such a, a mind boggling rate, the, the technologically... Um, you know, driven uh, aspect of racism, white supremacy is moving so fast, we can't even imagine some of the problems we're going to have just a few years from now, especially because it's so much about the bottom line and and making, you know, white billionaires richer. So I think, you know, of course, that doesn't mean that uh, there's not significant work that can't be done. You are part of this incredibly important work we we need. I mean, you talk about scale. We need you scaled at the rate of quantum computing. Yes, okay, yes, yes. Um, and so it's so urgent that people support the kind of change and transformation that you are a part of bringing about because 
this is not shits and giggles. This is not, oh, we can, you know, twiddle our thumbs. You know, it's going to take some of these companies five to 10 years to institute policies that we needed 40 years ago. Um, So again, just final words in terms of the urgency. And that's- Way beyond even what you think people listening, you think you understand. No, you don't understand. It is so important. We need this change yesterday. And so so I I don't disagree with you at all. I I, I totally agree with everything you say. Um, And why I remain optimistic is because I could give a fuck about a Facebook or Amazon or whatever. There are thousands of smaller companies who are who are feeling it right now and who um, who I can touch the leadership. And they're like, no, I don't want this as my legacy. Yeah. So that's the coalition I'm building. Yeah. And we have to make change in the margins and in the areas where we can. We can't necessarily change the whole goddamn thing. Exactly. Um, Everybody always wants to focus on the Googles and Google and them. They are already down that road. Yeah. Um, And and it's going to come to them at some point. It's going to be a risk management issue that they ain't going to be able to handle. (laughs) And and in in that time, I'm working with these groups of, you know, I'm, I'm you know, let's come on, let's keep because yeah. I you got people in you have people in um in these companies who are like mm, I'm gonna fuck up your code base if you keep doing this. You know, right. I'm gonna you know. Right. So there's there's some sabotage going. There's a whole bunch of stuff going. This is this is we got we, we and so now people are starting because what what the reason it's I'm optimistic is because people told Facebook years ago that not ha- allowing and Twitter that all languages, all speech is not equal and you need to stop doing that. You're only in a position of privilege that you think that's possible. Possible. 10, 15 years later, they're feeling the impact of that. Nobody wants to be the next Facebook or Twitter on this. Right, right. And so that's why, that's the only reason I get to do this work because yeah. normally they would, like again, before Trump, nobody wanted to hear this. And now people realize there's a problem. Yeah, yes. because now it's a, I said this and I'll end with this because people know I say this all the time. White supremacy is the parasite that's now eaten on its host. Oh, yes. That's <laughs> a good place to end because it's very, very true. Kim, thank you so much for thank having you. me. Thank you yeah. so much. You have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtag Call the to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day. <laughs>